0: Welcome to The Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. In this special episode of The Rennie Podcast, we'll be shining a light on The Rennie Outlook, which is an annual publication produced by Rennie's Intelligence Division. In the report, we'll share our predictions on a variety of housing, economic, and demographic measures for Canada, British Columbia, and Metro Vancouver for 2023. I'm Justine Liu, a manager broker at Rennie, and joining me today is Ryan Berlin, senior economist and director of intelligence, and Ryan Wise, our senior analyst with our intelligence division. Welcome, Ryan and Ryan.
1: Hi, Justine. Hey, Justine. Hey, Ryan.
0: So, before we take a deep dive into everything, um, let's talk about what the outlook is, why we do it, and how we came to these predictions, Ryan.
2: Sure. So, much of what we do in our analysis of the real estate market and the economy tends to be rear view in nature. And so, most of the time, we're looking at things that have already happened. And certainly this has a lot of utility in helping us understand how our markets are changing, what's going on. It's helping us understand where there are opportunities and challenges. And it also helps to put our world in perspective. Um, Where the Rennie Outlook is different is that it contains predictions. And we know that people love forecasts, projections, predictions. So we're giving the people what they want. Um, In the Outlook, we provide actual numerical predictions for the coming year. and you can hold our feet to the fire on them uh, for a number of housing market, economic and demographic um, elements. And the re- reality is, like I think we're humble in you know how we approach this process and what we are saying because we know that we're going to be wrong about a bunch of these things. Um, and in, in certain cases, we're going to be <laughs> – the potential to be really wrong is amplified because our predictions for one thing are predicated on predictions of something else. So, for example, mm-hmm. and Ryan will talk about it in a minute, you know, our forecast of housing prices depends on our view on interest rate, and that in turn depends on our assumptions about inflation. Um, but knowing that we're wrong doesn't sort of undermine the value, I don't think, of the, the content of the outlook because the, the value in our mind is twofold. One is in the predictions, certainly useful as a like, almost like a planning tool. Um, but we also provide commentary to uh, help readers understand where we're coming from in developing the, pr- the predictions, uh, what the context is, what the logic is. And truthfully, we really didn't come at developing this report from the perspective of, you know, wanting our market to look good or wanting to emphasize the bad or anything. It's really we're again, we're trying to be objective in our in our perspective on where things are going. And so in some cases, we come out looking quite bullish or quite positive. For example, interest rates. We've gotten a lot of media attention recently because we <laughs> are predicting interest rate cuts by the Bank of Canada this year, and not everyone agrees with that. Um, but that's where we see things going based on our prediction for inflation. And then on the other hand, we are forecasting that resale counts and presale counts will be more modest than they've been in the past, and even versus last year, which overall was an okay year, um, but we saw a real slowdown in the second half. So it's certainly not a raw rah report. Um, and. There's a there's a there's a quote that I think is attributed to Yogi Berra, um, uh, which is it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> we fully we fully acknowledge this, and we really just hope that the Rennie Outlook as a report can generate discussions at a minimum um, of where our economy and our housing market are going.
0: All right, thank you so much for giving that explanation. And actually, that's a I like that Yogi Berra quote. Okay, so let's get right into the predictions on the topic of predictions the number one thing people care about as it relates to housing market right now is the interest rates so can you share what your predictions are on for that
1: yeah but i think we shouldn't start there <laughs> because in or- we've been talking about this for a while and in mm. order to have an opinion about the housing market you have to have an opinion about interest rates. But in order to have an opinion about interest rates, you have to have an opinion about inflation. So as much as I think most people who open this report will jump straight to the last page to look at interest rates, I think we should start with inflation because that's really what drives our view for interest rates. Um, These elements are really intertwined along with when we get to prices and activity, um, as well as the job market. All these things, they really go together. And so I think we'll either get them all right or we'll we'll get them all wrong. (laughs) Um, But if you only look at that interest rate section, if that's the thing you care most about, I think uh, that it doesn't serve you well to sort of read that just on its own. And Mm -hmm. I think um, the best thing we can do is to start with inflation, because that's really the number one thing that's driving all of this stuff. Everything is really based off of inflation, first and foremost. Um, So inflation, we have a pretty, um, we'll call it bullish prediction for inflation, certainly more than than many others. So the Bank of Canada's target range, just to remind everyone, is inflation between 1% and 3% annually uh, with a 2% target. Um, And they were saying originally that they thought they would hit 3% by the end of the year. They've now revised that to 3% by summer. Our prediction is actually for inflation to be below that 3% by May. Uh, and to stay within that target range from May through the balance of the year. Um, and that's the big reason why we think there's a real possibility for interest rate cuts later in this year. Essentially, in- inflation would be back to where the Bank of Canada is comfortable by May of this year, um, and actually be at that 2% by June. Um, so really, that it's that inflation prediction, um, and we'll put some supporting documentation out as sort of like how we got to this the, okay. This whole thing later on. We're going to do some extra posts on inflation because there's a lot of math behind it. Um, but the, the sort of the big summary is so much of our inflation occurred last year in the first half of the year. Um, prices really ran up, and the inflation calculation is really based on two points in time prices today and prices a year ago. And so, as inflation has steadied over the last six months, and we expect it to continue um essentially that year over year change that base year effect uh will take hold and we'll we'll see that headline inflation rate come down um so yeah we're saying that by may we'll be in that target range and if that's the case we expect that that last increase on january 25th to four and a half percent will be the last one the bank of canada has indicated they expect to hold for a while we think that is absolutely the last one and we think there will be three 25 basis point decreases later this year. And I think that one is already raising a few eyebrows and will continue to. Um, one in the summer and then two more in the fall. And we believe that the Bank of Canada will finish the year with the overnight rate at 3.75%.
2: And it does that does sound aggressive. And every time I revisit the our prediction for interest yeah. rates, I ask myself, do I actually think that? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because... It, again, as you said, is predicated on an inflation forecast. Mm-hmm. And you know, based on the mechanics of that inflation calculation, it is very plausible that we will yeah. see inflation in that 1% to 3% range in the middle of the spring and that it will stay there potentially for the rest of the year. So I think, yeah, when we talk about those interest rate cuts, it's in the context of inflation being in the bank's target range for the rest of the year. So obviously- if it's not yeah then then inflation or interest rates may follow a different path but the bank's inter- like policy interest rate is way above what they call the neutral rate which is where they ultimately want it over the long run so i think that's you know important context yeah. for its and path
1: we ran a number of different scenarios so what happens if the pace of inflation slows down even more if it picks back up if it doubles from where it's at mm-hmm for where it's been for the last six months. And what's interesting is, for all these scenarios that I've just described, um, the rate of inflation stays within the Bank of Canada's target rate for the last six months of the year, regardless of if it slows down, picks up, even doubles. So the only real case for it to stay above is if um, price pressures really increase, if something really changes out there in the market. Mm-hmm. There are things that can happen, certainly for, for the overall, uh, rate of inflation to pick back up um we had you know was that a year a little over a year ago we had an atmospheric river that shut down all the highways in BC. Mm-hmm. like there's there's so many things that could happen but most of those things are not really something you can predict so i think if um oil prices and gas prices stay relatively stable if uh housing prices decline for a few more months as they have been if rents don't uh, rise too rapidly if food prices stop rising quite as quickly if if a lot of these things that are currently happening continue then i think that will be you know we'll be around that path of inflation that we're, we're predicting mm-hmm. today
0: yeah but what are the chances like in the past have we seen things kind of stay like that like because these are all like if these things do not change, yeah there's a lot of, that's like a handful of
1: that's that's a great question so i mean the interesting thing is before covid we had the past 10-year average for inflation was 2%, like a bang on. We were in a stable in, uh, inflationary environment for a really long time. And then we had deflation in 2020 because of COVID and all the, the increases in unemployment. And then we had tons of government spending. We had, we had incredibly low interest rates. We had people sitting at home saving money, chasing goods supply chains disruptions Mm -hmm. like there were so many different factors affecting inflation starting in 2021 and really ramping up in early 2022 and then being exacerbated by a war in europe which uh was you know put a ton of pressure on oil and gas prices on wheat prices on fertilizer prices Um, and so there was it's sort of like there were so many different factors at play in the first half of 2022 that really drove that inflation number and so it's our expectation that a lot of those things have resolved and I don't think it you need all of those ifs to sort of hit I think it's Mm -hmm. more the case uh, the path we're already on that path and as long as we don't have something really major sort of push us off that path. If we don't deviate too far from it, then we'll end up back in that target range sooner than a lot of people think.
2: And I think the important thing too, again, I think we've done this in past episodes, but I think it's worth worth reiterating that the the difference between inflation and prices, right? Because inflation is the rate at which prices are increasing. And so when we talk about high inflation, we're saying that prices, things are getting more expensive really quickly, or they're getting way more expensive. Um, And so The forecast of slowing inflation says nothing of prices coming down. It says that prices are still going to go up just a little bit more moderately. So we're in a world where things just cost more. But what we're saying is that over the course of this year, the increases, the things that are pushing prices up rapidly are largely abating.
1: So prices will continue to increase at a more normal pace, a much slower pace.
0: So you talked a lot about inflation interest rates, but how does this all come back and affect the housing market prices?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So we see sort of in the next few months, so we think again that if interest rates are sort of at their peak for variable rates right now, um, fixed mortgage rates have started to decline a little bit already, um, but overall rates are still quite high. So we are predicting a few more months of home price declines for both uh, apartments and detached home product types um, sort of bottoming out um, in sort of march april time frame um, and so like condo prices are down about nine percent from their peak last year and detached homes are down about 15 percent from their peak last year um, and that point after A couple more months of declines, we expect to see prices start to increase relatively slowly um, and sort of stable increases through the balance of the year. And overall, finishing the year higher than they started, however, still being less than that peak last year. So still not returning to their 2022 peak. Um, And so the values that we're sort of predicting for condos, about 98% of its peak 2022 value, uh, and detached homes about 88 percent of their peak 2022 value, so almost back to where they were last spring, but not quite. So we see sort of prices picking up, but at a, at a pretty modest pace.
2: Yeah, and that and the recovery for detached, it's a more expensive home type, mm-hmm. and so we we tend to see more volatility in the values in both you know good times for a housing market and tougher times. Um, and so that that return to peak for detached will be more protracted. We, mm-hmm. We're we looking at sort of the fall of 2024, which would make it about a two and a half year cycle for detached. Yeah. Whereas condo, we, we see it sort of coming back to peak in early 2024. So uh, somewhere around a, a two years, slightly shy of two years for that cycle.
1: And that's pretty typical historically. Detached homes usually take a lot longer to come back and have a longer cycle. Um, and a two year cycle is... Uh, in line with, um, like the 0809 downturn, for example.
0: And moving on slightly from that, what about sales counts?
1: Yeah, so I think um, given what we're expecting from the inflation and interest rate environment, that'll bring a lot more clarity. For buyers and sellers but we're still in it we will still be in a high interest rate environment for some time and we're still in a constrained inventory environment i don't know if you've heard me bring that up before <laughs> on the <a> podcast <laughs> maybe if you times yeah, yeah so i think uh we're sort of predicting sales counts to pick up um probably in the spring late spring but still overall not be as as busy as that typical spring market. And we're we're expecting a busier second half to the year. Um, but overall, we're, we're sort of predicting below average sales counts. Um, so on the resale side, we're saying about 42,000 MLS sales, which is about 18% less than the past decade average. Um, and on the pre-sale side, we're predicting about 13,000 pre-sale counts, again, which is sort of below average, below last year. Um, and so overall, uh, a slower
2: than typical year. Yeah, and, and and I think especially in the resale market, um, and you touched on it, Rye, part of the reason sales are stalled right now is there's just not a lot of listings to choose from.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's a lot of stale listings. And um, so it's sort of like, which is gonna move first, right? Is it supply side? Does inventory start to creep up and then stimulate demand? Or is it that demand um, increases above what it's been, the pressures at least from the demand side, and that entices some more supply into the market?
1: Well, I was going to say the other thing affecting the supply side of the market is still the labor market, which is you know something that we want to make some predictions on as well.
2: Yes. I mean, underpinning all of these predictions for interest rates, inflation, prices, and, and, and to some extent, sales is a set of assumptions that we're making about the labor market. And I think that we don't know exactly where we're going to land this year. We've come through a, a, a employment-wise. Um, we've come through a period where interest rates rose very quickly, and some people are calling for a recession this year. It's not something that we're really focused on, that whole recession discussion, because recessions are defined by things that don't include the job market. And I think what we're really, when we we talk about a region's functioning, a regional economy, and we talk about its housing market, it's not about GDP, which is how we measure recessions. Um, It's about are people working or not. And um, going into COVID, we we had a very strong labor market, and I would say a balanced labor market. And COVID threw everything for a loop. We had a hugely high, historically high unemployment rate. And then it, it so it spiked within three months, and then it came down relatively quickly as well. But really, our labor market today looks very similar to what it did in 2019, and which is to say, a, a quite a low unemployment rate nationally, provincially, regionally, and we see that largely continuing through this year. So we're currently at about a four and a half percent unemployment rate in Metro Vancouver, and we think that we'll end the year maybe slightly higher. So our prediction is for a 4.7% unemployment rate mm-hmm. by the end of the year and in between it's sort of rising and cresting mid-year and coming back down so peaking out at around 5.3% in the summertime um, and you know that that would reflects to some extent the impact of higher interest rates for um, uh, you know what would have been at, at, by summertime almost like a year and 3 months So having sort of their maximal effect there and then as rates start to come off and general uh, uncertainty abates, uh, some more confidence enters the market generally, we expect the labor market to tighten up. Um, And as part of that as well, uh, underlying that is job growth, which would be not quite on par with last year. Last year, we were still in kind of a recovery phase Mm -hmm. coming out of COVID. We started the year with a higher unemployment rate. So there was a lot of idle labor ready to be uh, literally reemployed. And, but that's not the situation this year. So we expect more modest employment gains and more modest wage gains as well. So, you know, over the last year, we saw uh, wages increase by between five and 6%, which was very high historically, or in a historical uh, context. Uh, and this year we expect that to come back down to the, the more typical experience of sort of 2 to 3%.
1: And if you're wondering why we're predicting both the unemployment rate to rise and the number of jobs to rise is because our region's still growing really quickly through migration. So we expect overall more people to be working even if there is a slight increase in the unemployment rate.
0: I don't know if this is important, but you're mentioning how in the summertime the employment rate is supposed to go up. Is that statistically normal for the employment rate to go up in the summer?
2: Not necessarily. I think I think there's certain seasonal patterns that that we see in various measures that we track that aren't necessarily super relevant in the current environment because there are factors that override the seasonal tendencies. So for example, we are in such a high interest rate environment right now. The impact of inflation coming down and interest rates coming down will have an outsize effect on certain things like potentially home prices and uh, the labor market vis-a-vis the unemployment rate. Um, then would a typical seasonal pattern? Um, it's a good. It's definitely a good question. But we're still in this sort of period of adjustment, rather than being in a in a stable overall market.
0: So that was really interesting. We started with one prediction that led on to multiple (laughs) other predictions that were all intertwined with each other. I'm looking at the outlook here and I see that there's more predictions um, in here. So can you explain to me what that next session is going to be about?
2: Yeah, I think what we just sort of walked through that set of predictions are all interlinked or dependent on one another to some extent. We also um, forecast other elements as part of the uh, Running Outlook Report. And the two that we want to sort of touch on here to wrap things up today are um, in the demographic realm and in the housing construction realm. And particularly as it relates to population change, you know, the, the, the number of people that are coming to Canada or coming to BC or to Metro Vancouver in at a given point in time or in the short term is not really dependent on how well or poorly the housing market's performing or how good or bad the labor market is or the economy is, um, there are there are broader sort of factors uh, and, and inertias in play, if you will, um, that, that determine those things. And I think when we look nationally, we have a government that has been increasing its immigration targets for years now, and we have a target set for 2022 of 465 permanent residents being admitted. Uh, that would be an all-time record. And you say, well, is it reasonable that we would hit that number? Well, every year prior, where we have set a target, we've hit it, even when those targets were, at the time, all-time records. So I think we feel confident that Canada will be uh, welcoming 465,000 permanent residents this year, which is the target, and of those, um, around 10 to 11% will end up in Metro Vancouver. So that would equate to 52,000 permanent resident admissions to this region, which would represent um, significant growth over past years, um, and again, I think regardless of how our, our economy is performing, those are those are numbers that are very likely to be achieved, and then they have implications for other aspects of our region. We're set to add a lot of new people this year, and the question is, really fundamentally are we adding enough housing to accommodate them? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: and so the short answer is no. So in 2022, we completed, so that the number of homes built or finished building in 2022 was less than 22,000 homes. We are forecasting uh, a higher number of completions this year. Uh, that is, number is just straight math based on the number of homes that were started the past year is the number of homes under construction and what we expect to complete. So our forecast is up to 23,400, but based on the household composition of adding more than fifty thousand new immigrants that's simply not enough homes uh, and what's more if we look at um, the number of starts that we expect to get off the ground um, this year while again we do a lot of math off of building permits and off of the number of pre-sale homes that were already sold in years past that haven't started construction yet uh, we have a fairly higher number of starts that we're expecting, just under 28,000 homes. But again, even if we were to get all those homes off the ground, that's still not enough homes to accommodate population growth. And this has been an ongoing trend mm-hmm. in our region for, for many years and it's something that needs to be dealt with as we keep ramping up our immigration targets and our population growth. This region is growing incredibly fast and we need to accommodate, uh, we need homes for these people.
2: And I think, I mean, I acknowledge, we acknowledge, I think that, that our our forecast of 28,000 housing starts and change for Metro Vancouver for this year is somewhat ambitious mm-hmm. given the cost of construction right now mm-hmm. the and 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 then specifically looking at the labor element the construction sector has the second highest job vacancy rate of any industry in our region mm-hmm. so there's a desire for people to be working <laughs> on the part of employers on the part of builders but it's it's proving to be a little bit difficult to find the right people the people with the right skills the trades and so on and so forth. So I think the capacity to add is to add homes, to build homes is is constrained. Mm-hmm. So it will be quite fascinating to watch this this play out over the course of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, substantively, I mean this report essentially forecasts the same elements as last year's report, but we've added in prices, which we talked about. We've also included forecasts forecast of rents, which we didn't discuss today, and you can find in the report. Uh, And also, in addition to just immigration or international migration, we have uh, predictions for domestic migration and total population change.
0: All right, so everybody get your hands on a copy of the Rennie Outlook. Uh, in today's podcast, we shared a number of predictions for 2023. sedition edition of the Rennie Outlook, which includes number one, Canadian inflations falling back into the Bank of Canada's target range in spring. Two, the Bank of Canada cutting its policy interest rate up to three times by the end of the year. And number three, Canada welcoming a record number of international migrants this year. This includes a special edition of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the Rennie Outlook and other intelligence content on rennie.com intelligence, where you can register and be able to get a digital copy of it. To be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox, register for intelligence updates. Ryan Berlin and Ryan Wise, thank you again for your time. And I can't wait to see what this year brings.
1: Thanks, Justine. Thanks, Ryan.
2: Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.